Hello and welcome to episode number 457 of Holy Crap It's Sports. I'm your host Pete Davis, a cloudy day at the Sandy Springs Podcast Center in Laundromat, located just north of Atlanta, GA. Hope everybody's going to have a great 4th of July weekend. It's July 1st. 2022 and it's a friday so man fourth of july is on a monday so everyone's going to have probably today off and monday off too or most people not us and if you're listening to this hopefully you're sitting back and enjoying a tall cold one and doing whatever you want to do because it's the fourth of july celebrate the independence remember what it's for but just celebrate okay and safely too by the way uh, if you want to follow me on twitter pete davis one if you want to be on uh like uh pen pal list write me at uh, pete davis one at yahoo.com and patreon.com is always there for us just look up holy crap at sports p-a-t-r-e-o-n if you think this is worth uh, supporting appreciate it cheeseburger a month and if you want a t-shirt farmhouseprintingco.com has they'll put anything on a t-shirt or a coffee mug thermos mug anything you want they got the laser engraving now but they'll do anything on a t-shirt that you like or you can get a holy crap at sports t-shirt or you know Drink Up Shriners t-shirt or Kimmer Show t-shirt, whatever you want, go to farmhouseprintingco.com. Headlines for a Friday, July 1st of 2022. College football goes from the ridiculous to the insane with UCLA and Southern Cal moving to the Big Ten. Uh, what is next? It's going to get crazy. Who will eventually replace Nick Saban? Uh, the Braves get pounded in Philadelphia, but, you know, they took two out of three. All-star voting continues with Braves players doing well so far, so keep voting. An ESPN idiot says Freddie Freeman owes the Dodgers an apology. In fact, more than one apology. Oh boy, more stupidity from ESPN. The stupid is strong in Bristol. And I find out I'm related to an Olympic gold medal winner. This came as quite a shock last night, or shall I say early this morning. Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, famous athletes to share a birthday with, all kinds of good stuff coming your way. So sit back, lay out in the pool, and enjoy. In fact, if you're at the pool, uh, Turn it up for everybody else to hear. Uh, college football. This We woke up yesterday and things were still crazy in college football, but we didn't know it was about to just go full back guano crazy. Thursday, just a normal day. And then the Pac-12 explodes and the Big Ten gorges itself on the leftovers. Southern Cal and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten this is for real. This is the backlash from the announcement Texas and Oklahoma is leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, which came last year. We've gone from having three super conferences to now being down to just two in the space of a few months. The only conference left that might have a chance is the ACC. But I'm hearing that not only Clemson, but Florida State, Miami, and North Carolina want to come to the Southeastern Conference. Paul Feinbaum wonders if the SEC would want FSU after the Seminoles turned down a chance to join the conference a few years ago. Remember Remember that? They were too good for the SEC. Well, uh, they'll come with their hat in their hand now. I don't think uh, it'll be a problem <laughs> for the SEC to worry about. It's FSU will be sitting by the phone. The Atlantic Coast Conference could try to keep their teams and reach out to, like, say, the Arizonas, Utah, Oregon's, and uh, Washington State schools. Colorado, too. That might work. But here's where the insanity comes in. At least where Oklahoma and Texas are concerned, they at least adjoin to SEC states. But USC and UCLA are nowhere near the Big Ten states. It's now just a click, just like in high school, where people who like each other bunch together. 
I feel bad for the new Pac-12 commish on the job for one year, and he's on vacation in Montana, and this lands on him like a million-pound shite hammer. He might as well just go out to the next Trout River and get eaten by a grizzly. The poor Rose Bowl, which has already lost some luster by not always having the Big Ten versus the Pac-12 rivalry game anymore, will now become even more in an afterthought. Just another game, as Feinbaum called it yesterday. I don't know if it's quite to that level yet, but it's getting there. And, and that's a shame. And so were the traditions we grew up with, the traditions that made us love college football so much. They're being eaten away because of the money. Is this Armageddon for college football? No, it's not. But it's a sea change that makes it more corporate, more conglomerated, and we all see what that did to radio as well as other things around this country. It rarely means a better product, just a cheaper one. Just like the name, image, and likeness deals, it's great for the players, but not really for the fans. And even the players might get hurt by this move. I can't wait to see the Trojans play a conference game against Rutgers in New Jersey, then have to fly back to L.A. for a Thursday night game against Minnesota. Oregon and Washington State schools are really screwed. They lose the L.A. market. They lose the L.A. high school pipeline. And who wants to have them in their conference where you have to fly completely across the country, then ride a bus for a few hours to get to some of the colleges out there, far from large airports? Feinbaum joked with Reese Davis yesterday that it's easier to get from L.A. to Evanston than L.A. to Corvallis. It's true. It's like Larry Munson used to say about Fayetteville, Arkansas, you can't get there from here. You take a plane and a bus and a covered wagon and you're still not there. So, about that expanded playoff. Reese Davis says he thinks it'll be a reality in a year or two. Think about that. I'm going to take a sip here. A year or two. It's coming. Believe me, this realignment will demand it. And how does the SEC respond? Well, we've already mentioned the ACC schools as an option. Uh, could they could reach out to Arizona schools too, Colorado. But the big fish is floating around out there. You know who it is. Notre Dame, which, hmm, do they keep being obstinate up there in South Bend or finally go whole hog with the ACC? The fight, and you know they don't want to be in ACC. They don't, they don't want to be playing Wake Forest uh, every year. The Fighting Irish should be in the Big Ten, but then again, USC should be in the Pac-12. You know what? As much as we make fun of the Pac-12 and the Pac-10 before it, we're going to miss it. It's part of our college football tradition and lore, and it's such a shame. They have a great tradition out there, football, that goes back to the very beginnings of football. Uh, Amos Alonzo Stagg, University of Pacific, all the great teams that they had out there, the, the Southern Cal teams that we grew up with in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, UCLA under Terry Donahue, which was always the underdog and would jump up and bite the Trojans every now and then. And we the Oregon Ducks coming out of nowhere uh, a couple decades ago. The Pac-12 has a long, good history. It's a shame what is happening to it. And then again, what about basketball? Is this the end of the ACC basketball dynamic? Will UNC leave Duke behind? As one conference commissioner put it, this is all good and well for the football programs, but what about the other sports? The smaller sports can't afford to travel as much as the football teams can. But if the new Big Ten, and they really should change the name now, is guaranteeing like $100 million per school per year, maybe they can afford to send the women's badminton team cross-country now. Heather Denich of ESPN reporting that it was UCLA and Southern Cal that reached out first to the Big Ten. I'd love to find out which of those two schools called the other first. Was it Chip Kelly or Lincoln Riley? Kirk Herbstreet says, fasten your seatbelt. You're doing a little Betty Davis. You know, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Uh, the fun has just begun. 
And the disparity between the haves and the have-nots is just going to get larger, which may be good for TV ratings, but bad overall for the sport of college football. And I had just gotten used to saying the Pac-12 instead of the Pac-10. Well, they're already doing that. They've already gone back to the 10. This also shows the Manning family always seems to make the right move. Maybe they had some kind of inkling or wind of the Longhorns coming to the SEC faster than this was thought. Yes, that's going to happen now. The SEC is not going to wait around and watch uh, the Trojans and the Bruins show up in the Big Ten before the Sooners and the Longhorns are in the SEC. There are a lot of funny tweets about all this going on, about the whole mess, and I'll bring the best of you, best of them to you coming up in Pete's tweets in a little bit. Uh, did I mention that Big Ten is about to sign a TV deal for over a billion dollars? Yeah, this is all part of that. Meanwhile, Michael Daly of Saturday Down South has a great story about who will follow Nick Saban in Alabama. And, of course, once again, he should pay us for mentioning him this many times. Paul Feinbaum has a theory. And for once, this theory does not involve Lane Kiffin. <laughs> but anyway, if it happens in the next two or three years that Saban steps down, uh, Paul says he would keep his eyes on Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, and Dave Aranda. Those are all three good choices. Uh, if something happened right now, Bill O'Brien would be the most serious candidate, the offensive coordinator at Bama. He's got head coaching experience, according to Feinbaum. I'm telling you right now, someone who doesn't want to see Alabama win a lot, I would love for them to hire Bill O'Brien. That would be a disaster on par with Bill Curry. And Bill Curry wasn't a disaster. Bill Curry won there. He just he was a Georgia Tech guy, and they would never accept him there. So I really shouldn't put Bill O'Brien in the same because I respect Bill Curry, even though I don't agree with him sometimes, but I, I respect him. Hmm, Bill O'Brien would be a disaster. I'm just saying, and I would love to sit back and watch that. Anyway, O'Brien would be the only current in-house coaching candidate to replace Saban on that short little list. Napier is the current coach of the Gators, just got there. Cristobal just got there in Miami. He was on uh, Saban's uh, Alabama staff before, so was Napier. Aranda, the only coach without previous tenure, working for Saban at Bama. Saban turns 71 in October. He's in his 16th season now with the Crimson Tide, and it could happen. Anyway, it's going to happen soon. Uh, in fact, there was some caller called up yesterday screaming and hollering on the Feinbaum show, and he asked him, well, um, are you thinking, who's going to replace Saban? And, he, and the guy was, I'm not thinking about that. He says, you're not thinking about that? Okay, all right. He goes, Saban's going to be there another 8, 10 years. <clears throat> sure he is. Anyway, let's uh, change the baseball here. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> the Braves got pounded 14-4 to in Philly last night. Uh, Ian Anderson gave up seven runs, earned runs in two innings. He's now 6-5, and five, and uh, let's just say he's the weakest link right now going in the Braves starting pitching. He needs to uh, get something turned around. 6-5 and five is not good enough for me. Anyway, uh, I don't know why I got a frog in my throat there. Uh, the Braves took two out of three in Philly. They're in Cincinnati starting tonight. Of course, I'm doing this, uh, recording this on Friday, if you're listening to this over the weekend. By the way, I don't know if I'm doing a July 4th show Monday. I may do one Tuesday instead, but we'll see. Uh, don't count on one on Monday, though. Uh, the camera show's off Monday, too, by the way. Uh, the Braves made a trade with the Red Sox late last night. They got a AAA reliever named Silvino Bracho. Bracho, Bracho, B-R-A-C-H-O. Uh, Boston had designated him for assignment earlier in the week. Uh, Silvino is 29 years old. He's a bullpen veteran. Uh, he's been in the majors up and down since 2015. He's with the Diamondbacks. He had Tommy John surgery uh, three years ago. 
and he's got uh, fastball changeup and slider. His fastball is around 92 miles per hour. I don't know if Silvino is going to be down in Gwinnett to start off or he's going to be bringing up to kind of help with the depth since Kenley Jansen is out right now. So we'll see what goes on up there in Cincinnati. Ronald Acuna Jr. has uh, allegedly rejoined the team, so he should be playing up there in Cincinnati as well. The Reds uh, coming off being spanked by the Cubs yesterday. Was it the Cubs who beat them? Yeah, it was the Cubs. Votto hit a home run. There's a great video out there of Joey Votto interacting with a Cubs fan, a little a little boy on the sidelines in the, side, in the first row at Wrigley. It's pretty, pretty cute. Uh, the first round of voting has now been completed. Not only do the Braves have five finalists for the next round of voting, but Acuna managed to overtake Mookie Betts and win a starting spot on the team outright as the top vote-getter in the National League. And Acuna really has been playing as much as, I mean, he didn't start the season. He was on the injured list and uh, basically rehabbing. And then he's been injured for the last few days, but people love him. Uh, the top vote-getter in each league wins an automatic starting spot without having to go to the next round of voting. Yes, Major League Baseball has made the all-star voting a chore. But anyway, keep doing it. You can do five times a day, I believe. Aaron Judge, by the way, is the top vote-getter in the American League. As for the guys that have actually go through the next round of voting, Ozzie Albies, uh, Dansby Swanson, Travis Darno, Adam Duvall, and William Contreras at DH are in the next round. Ozzie won't be able to play in the game, so he will not be uh, getting that starting spot. But then again, Jazz... Uh, the guy, Jazz Chisholm, well, he is also hurt. Uh, Duvall isn't exactly having a pretty good year, but uh, everybody loves him, so maybe he'll make it. And, of course, Mookie Betts is out with that broken rib. Dansby and Travis should be starting. That's my opinion, and so should uh, Contreras. But we'll see what goes on. Anyway, so I'm watching ESPN Sports Center Wednesday afternoon. An Atlanta native L. Duncan is hosting and waxing poetic about Freddie Freeman wanting to still be an Atlanta Brave and how great the Braves fans were to him over the weekend. Then they go to alleged baseball expert Jeff Passan. You know, the guy who always looks like he's about to cry and still wears that greasy kid stuff in his hair. He looks like a walking, talking ad for Brill Cream or maybe Dippity Doo. Anyway, Passan goes on a sycophantic spew, kissing up to the Dodgers. And what a great place L.A. is to play in. And then he says something ridiculous. Freddie Freeman can help his cause with his Dodgers teammates by, quote, apologizing a time or two, end quote. Huh? Apologize? To, for what? For being the most consistent player on the Dodgers all season? For his 12-game hitting streak, it's probably up to maybe even greater now? For being the glue that holds them together while Mookie is out? For having a cool and emotional return to his former town to receive the accolades he deserves? Uh, Freddie Freeman has nothing to apologize for to anybody except maybe himself. The stupid, as I said earlier, is still strong in ESPN. And look, Jeff Passan does a good job. But, uh, but they all have to kiss ass to New York and L.A. It's constant. Meanwhile, Casey Close, the agent in question, is claiming the Braves organization has been putting out false information that he withheld their final contract offer from Freddie. He's also mad at talk show host Doug Gottlieb. Let's just hope this continues to give the Dodgers a sour stomach and leaves the Braves out of it, but of course they won't. If the Dodgers get hurt, ESPN's going to make sure the Braves get bad press too. That's just the way it is. This uh, agent seems like a bad actor. I don't know him, but um, I don't really trust agents. So anyway, uh, College baseball, the College World Series, is not the only championship that Ole Miss won last week. They held their... Um, their parade, their victory parade in downtown Oxford yesterday or the day before is a beautiful day. 
And uh, the parade took four minutes because it's just a square. <laughs> but anyway, they, they went through that faster than the Braves through downtown Atlanta last year. Just kidding. It was a long, drawn-out affair. Everybody was partying. I wish I was in Oxford for that. What a party that would have been. But anyway, there was a party in Omaha at Rocco's Pizza and Cantina. We've been talking about it. Ole Miss was the Jello Shot champion. They bought, are you sitting down? 18,777 jello shots. He says, uh, the guy who owns it says, this is a level of enthusiasm we had not seen. It's also a level of participation we had not seen. The owners, Kevin and Bonnie Kuljat, were taken aback. Said, uh, this year we're experiencing something we never expected when we hung up the whiteboard with eight teams written on it four years ago. The perfect storm of two great baseball schools full of tradition, awesome fan support, and a huge competitive spirit on and off the diamond. He's talking about Mississippi and Arkansas and then Mississippi and Oklahoma after that. Pat McAvoy, the manager of Rocco's, started the Shot Challenge seven years ago. They switched to Jello Shots a couple years after that. So when the Razorback fans bought more than 850 Jello Shots a few years ago, Kevin saw an opportunity to put up the board and have a, you know, basically a test. Arkansas came in one year and bought 860 shots, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Then last year, when Mississippi State was here, they were drinking quite a few. And I said to my wife, wife, I'm going to put up a couple of flyers that say there's a record out there. Last year, State overtook the Razorbacks record with a new record of almost 2,968 jello shots. Did I just mention that Ole Miss just did 18,000? Uh, by the fourth day of the series this year, the Razorbacks broke Mississippi State's record. They didn't hold it for long. He said, Arkansas shows up, and on their first day in town, they rented the party room and drank 1,000 shots in four hours. Then all heck broke loose. Some people ordered shots 100, 300, or 1,000 at a time. And fans that could not make it to Omaha sent their friends money through Venmo to participate in the challenge. To meet the demand, Rocco's Balton sold pre-made and pre-packaged gelatin shots. I was wondering how they did this. Arkansas and Ole Miss were in close competition during the challenge. The Hogs took an early lead, but by the end, Ole Miss fans set the new record, over 18,000, almost 19. And Ole Miss took home the national championship trophy and the Jell-O Shot championship title. Uh, Kevin said he hoped that baseball fans would try to make it 3,000, but he didn't expect people to start buying 300 or even 1,000 shots at a time. He realized people were invested, so he decided to find a way to give back. We didn't do the Jell-O Shot Challenge to be a huge moneymaker for us. It was just kind of fun. So, after looking at Ole Miss's website, he decided that every Jell-O shot bought by an Ole Miss fan, $2 would be donated to the Grove Grocery, which helps students, poorer students, eat, eat well during while they're at college. Or eat. Uh, let's see, Rocco's is donating $37,000, more than $37K, to help with food. And uh, it says they were very, very generous, uh, the Ole Miss fans. They tipped our staff well. It's a win-win-win for everybody, a wonderful time. Uh, we made a lot of money. My wife and I got to donate a lot to charity. The staff made money, too. Uh, the viral sh uh, jello shot went viral. So Slurp took notice. That's S-L-R-R-R-P. Uh, they made the jellos, most of them. It says, when we first saw the competition on Twitter, we thought it was a fantastic idea. It was amazing how quickly things escalated. My. That got out of hand fast. Uh, that escalated. We actually had to scramble a couple times to get them more product because the demand was so strong around the competition. In addition to restocking Rocco's supply, Slurp 
also decided to join them by donating an additional $1 for each shot sold. In total, over 18,000 slurp shots sold. Uh, they ran out of supply a few times. They had to use substitutes. Uh, the donation is going to be split between the Grove Grocery in Oxford and the Jane B. Gerhart Full Circle Food Pantry at Arkansas. By the way, the Razorbacks bought $9,000 worth of Jello shots. In total, $46,614 are donated to the Grove Grocery. Tina Truong, the student director of it, she was stunned by it. Says it's surreal. We were not expecting this. She's very thankful to all of it. That's a very nice story all around. I hadn't heard one bad thing about no fights or anything like that. And jello shots are actually delicious. To me, it's a waste of liquor, but they're delicious. I'd rather have one of those Fat Tuesday things. Those slur if I'm going to do something silly with my liquor, if I was still a drinking man, uh, I would do one of those Fat Tuesday slurpy things. Those, that got me through Georgia State. There at Underground Atlanta, Fat Tuesdays. Wow, that was a godsend. Anyway, uh, The Onion has a good headline. I was watching ESPN this morning. And they've got some of the 9-11 family survivors who are mad because Saudi Arabia is backing the live tours, they're calling it now. And they're having the first American tournament up there outside of Portland, Oregon. Well, that was a bad choice. Anyway, so, of course, everybody's up there screaming and hollering in front of the cameras, and they're mad. One of the guys said that, uh, why don't the golfers just come out and say, we did this for more money, be a man, stand up, and say, we don't care what the Saudis did. Because allegedly, the Saudi Arabians backed the 9-11 terrorists. I should I'd say allegedly, but come on. So the Onion has a headline today. Uh, supposedly, this is what Phil Mickelson has responded with. Taking money from the Saudis leaves less money for the next 9-11. Now, I thought that was funny. Some people might not. On this day, uh, July 1st, 1904, the third summer of the modern Olympic Games opened in St. Louis, the first held in the United States. So, yeah, let me repeat that. St. Louis has had, St. Louis and Atlanta have had uh, Olympics, summer games. New York, uh, San Francisco, San Diego, uh, Dallas, Houston, none of those. Chicago, never had a modern Olympics, sorry. Uh, 1917, in contravention of state law, the Robins of Brooklyn, later became the Dodgers, played their first Sunday game in Brooklyn. The owner of the team and the manager were arrested, but they got out with just a fine. The Robins beat the, um, the Phillies that day, 3-2. to two. 1920, Senators pitching legend Walter Johnson. Some say he's the greatest pitcher of all time. I think Tim Kirchin says that. No hits, the Red Sox won nothing at Fenway, the only no-hitter of his illustrious career. 1997, the Nevada Athletic Commission, or NAC, suspends Mike Tyson indefinitely, withholds his $20 million purse for biting Evander Holyfield's ear during their heavyweight title fight. <laughs> Birthdays on July 1st, and it seems like everybody was waiting for June to be over to, to pop out the kid. Oh, I don't want a June baby. I want a July baby. Well, these are the people that if you're born on July 1st, you share the date with. 1857, Roger Connor, a Baseball Hall of Fame first baseman, had the career home run record of 138, which stood for 23 years before you-know-who came along. Born in Waterbury, Connecticut, died in 1931. In 1861, Samuel D. Riddle was born, a thoroughbred owner, and he owned two of the greatest horses of all time, Man o' War and War Admiral. Born in Glen Riddle, Pennsylvania, died in 1951. Gosh, he was 90. Uh, 1861, John Clarkson, a Hall of Fame pitcher, won the Triple Crown in 1889 for 
pitching. Had a no-hitter in 85, three-time National League wins leader, three-time strikeout leader. Played for the Chicago White Stockings and the Boston Bean Eaters. Born in Cambridge, Mass. Died in 1909. Holy cow, that's one. He was only 20 years. Wait a minute, he's only 20 years old? 1990. Yeah, I should have looked that up. I wonder what killed him at 20 years old. Uh, anyway, 1888, Ben Taylor was born. I keep trying to drop my notes here. Ben Taylor was born. He's a Hall of Fame first baseman, played for the Indianapolis ABCs. He also managed the Washington Potomacs, the Baltimore Black Sox. He was born in Anderson, South Carolina, died in 1953. 1907, Bill Stern, a sportscaster. He was a guy who did the first televised football game, born in Rochester, New York, died in 1971. In 1908, Ed Gordon Jr., was an Olympic gold long jump champion in 1932. He was born in Jackson, Mississippi. He died in 1971. And here's where it got surreal last night when I was putting this together. Born in 1910 in Derma, Mississippi, which where, where I spent my summers as a kid on the farm, Glenn Hardin was born. American athlete won the Olympic gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics in the 400-meter hurdles. Died in 1975. My grandmother's maiden name was Hardin. There's not every Hardin in Derma is related to me. I found out last night for the first time in my life that I'm related to an Olympic gold medal champion that I could have talked to up to the age of 14. I could have seen his gold medal. This is a man who saw Hitler, okay? Either at the opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, or maybe Hitler was there when he won his gold medal. A relative of mine not only won a gold medal at the Berlin Olympics, but he had seen Hitler. I would have given my right you-know-what to have had a discussion with this. Nobody in my family ever mentioned this. I guess they had just forgotten about it because it had happened so long before. But I was 14 when he died, and I was a World War II nut even long before that. God, the dis discussions I could have had with this guy, and I'm related to him. I feel kind of bad. I'm going to chastise my relatives next time I see them. 1916, Bob Prince, sportscaster for the Pirates, born in Los Angeles, died in 1985. 1922, Don Whitmire, College Football Hall of Fame tackle, played for Alabama and Navy, was an All-American at both. Born in Giles County, Tennessee, he died in 1991. Told you there's a lot of birthdays today. 1933, Sam Ritigliano, uh, coach of the Browns, broadcaster, born in Brooklyn. Uh, pretty good coach. 1941, Rod Gilbert, Hockey Hall of Fame right winger, uh, played for the Rangers. He was the first Ranger to have his number retired, born in Montreal, died last year. 1952, Steve Shutt. Uh, Canadians left winger, five-time Stanley Cup winner, born in Willowdale, Canada. 1953, Mike Haynes, cornerback uh, in the college and pro football Hall of Fame. So he's a nine-time pro bowler for the Patriots and the L.A. Raiders, born in Denison, Texas. 1961, Carl Lewis, sprinter and long jumper, nine Olympic gold medals in 84, 88, 92, and 96 here in Atlanta, where he closed out his career, born in Birmingham, Alabama. 1966. Before I tell you this guy, I'm going to take a sip here. Hold on. <clears throat> Patrick McEnroe, born on this date, 1966. Tennis player, coach, broadcaster. He's at Wimbledon right now. Uh, let's see. Uh, coached the U.S. to a Davis Cup win in 2007. Born in Manhasset, New York. 
before the John Isner-Andy Murray a tennis match a few days ago at Wimbledon, either Patrick or his smart-ass brother John said, isn't there another match we could be watching today? He said that because Isner was 0-8 against Murray. Not anymore. He took care of Murray in five sets. Well, that's a long way to go. Uh, 1985, Chris Perez, a uh, reliever, was an all-star a few years ago, born in Bradenton, Florida. 1986, Charlie Blockman, uh, outfitter for the Rockies, NL batting champion five years ago, born in Dallas, Texas. 1991, Michael Waka Waka, uh, pitcher, an all-star in, in 2015, playing for the Cardinals. I think he's with the Red Sox now, and he's got a comeback going. Born in Iowa City. 1992, Aaron Sanchez, a pitcher, was an all-star in 2016, born in Barstow, California. We were somewhere on the edge of the desert near Barstow when the drugs began to take hold. Anyway, dead people on July 1st, 1916, William Booth, an Englishman, he was a cricket batsman, died at the Somme in 39. The Battle of the Somme, and I think there was two of them, uh, was the one of the most deadly battles of all time in World War I. The first day of that fateful battle was July 1st. The British lost over 19,000 men that day in one battle, and William Booth was one of them. 1982, Ray Scarborough, a pitcher, was an all-star in 1950, dead at the age of 64. It doesn't say who he played for. 2008, John Pont, college football coach of Miami, Yale, Northwestern, and Indiana, I don't know if that's Miami of Florida or of or Ohio, but anyway, he died at the age of 80. 2010, a great coach. Gosh, an offensive genius. Don Coriel, Air Coriel, College Football Hall of Fame and NFL coach of the San Diego Chargers, dies at the age of 85. Who's trying to contact me? No one that I care about. Anyway, I got weddings on July 1st. Who wouldn't have a June? You're that close to June. Why wouldn't you just go ahead and have a June wedding? Well, anyway. 1981, the NFL quarterback Joe Montana was 25 when he married his second wife, Kathleen Castillo. And I'm not going to laugh at him because at age 25, I also could have been on my second wife, but did not. Let's, uh, let's see here. Uh, Pete Sweets. So Major League umpire Laz Diaz has gone into a Twitter fight with former Red Sox player Will Middlebrooks. After Middlebrooks says that umpires have no accountability because they are protected by their union. That's yeah, that says a baseball player. But anyway, uh, so Laz Diaz got mad at him and says, you are not an umpire and you do not know what goes on in the umpire world of life. You as a player were supposed to be an outright superstar for Boston and you didn't live up to that. So it's the umpire's fault. Be real. Ooh, that's kind of cold. So uh, let's see. Uh, Will Middlebrook shot back or clapped back. Very professional of you, Laz. If you don't uh, talk to me about umpires, then maybe keep my name out of your mouth as well. Not once did I blame an umpire for not staying healthy or not playing well. Good to know those rabbit ears still work. (laughs) Uh, John Wilner tweeted, USC and UCLA are planning to leave, blah, blah, blah. So the dog post said, this is not a stunner. You're about to see college football form into the SEC and Big Ten. Everyone else will fall apart over time. It's going to be interesting. If there's going to be two leagues and 50 to 60 teams in each league, which is just an outright joke, and they're not going to follow the NCAA rules anymore. You know that. It's just going to be a free-for-all, and it's going to tear apart college football in a lot of ways. But I, I don't see a lot of good coming from this. Except maybe TV, you know, some of the great games will be better. But I I don't know what's going on with this. 
Um, but what will the other teams do? What, will, will Vanderbilt be allowed to stay in the league? I mean, you don't need them for grade point average anymore. Well, well, is the SEC going to kick Vandy out? I don't, I'm not for that. Uh, even though they play Ole Miss tough, I, I'm not for kicking Vandy out. Uh, let's see, who else got uh, – Oklahoma States, the Iowa States, uh, the people – teams, uh, colleges like that, are they going to be so poor now that they're not going to be able to, to even put football teams out? Well, how is that good for college football? Uh, let's see, what else we got here? Uh, Dane Young says, make them ride a bus from L.A. to New Brunswick, New Jersey for the games with Rutgers. Anish Shroff of ESPN says the Super Conference Wars begun they have. The Super Conference Wars begun they have. <laughs> and, okay, I should have said this earlier. I, I, I apologize. I should have done this when I was talking about the Braves, but very sad news for the Braves world. Uh, Casey Motter passed away in his sleep uh, yesterday morning. Uh, please say a prayer for his wife, Debbie Motter, and the rest of his family. Casey was the voice of the Braves, basically. The public address announcer since 2006. The first voice of ballpark DJ in 2017. A crowd favorite. Uh, a voice that propelled the Braves to a world championship. One of the greatest voices ever to grace a microphone. Uh, this is according to ballpark DJ. Rest in peace. Casey Motter has passed away, so that's sad. I'm sure the Braves will do something uh, when they get back in town. Uh, Dane Young also quoted, hey, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, from all metrics, Hawaii seems like a natural fit to join the Southeastern Conference. Sincerely, media outlets that cover the SEC. <laughs> nice try. Well, yeah, what about Hawaii? What's going to happen with them? It's already expensive for them. Uh, Barrett Sali of CBS Sports says that Oregon has left the Pac-12 for the LIV tour. <laughs> uh, John Fricky of 929 The Game here in Atlanta, morning show. Sheeshus, now SEC will expand again. Invite teams that can compete, like Notre Dame, Florida State, the New York Jets. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Timmerman says that scientists have determined that every 28 seconds, somewhere on Earth, Matt Olson is hitting a double. <laughs> Adrian Wojnarowski uh, reported that Kevin Durant requested a trade uh, from the Brooklyn Nets to which Ole Miss coach Lane Kiffin immediately wrote, come to the sip. <laughs> what was he want him to play for the Ole Miss basketball team, or does he think he'd be a good tight end or something? A receiver, probably a good receiver, Kevin Durant. Uh, let's see. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, Danilo Gallinari, who was traded by the Hawks to, I believe, the, the Spurs. And by the way, Kevin Durant says – I think he said this, that the Hawks may be one of the three teams he wants to go to. Is that true? Wow. Kevin Durant here with that new kid they got and Trey Young? Wow. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, a class act, he says, It's hard to say goodbye. We always know what we leave behind, but not what we'll find in front of us. But that's my career, and I know that a new exciting challenge is waiting for me. I leave behind good guys, special fans, and two unforgettable seasons with this club where I've been so close to one of my biggest dreams. We flew high hawks. I'll never forget this. Thank you, Atlanta, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Atlanta, from the bottom of my heart. Gallo. Class act. So applaud him when he comes back into town. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Sorry I keep saying that. Uh, no, that's not it. Okay, Mike Griffith, 32. He covers um, – he's on Fine Bumps all the time. He's a bulldog 
uh, nut. <laughs> says, if the SEC had a choice of an ACC school to add, which of the four would you pick? And he put out a Twitter poll. When I looked at it yesterday, it was between Miami, Virginia Tech, Clemson, and North Carolina. The winner, by far, Clemson, 72%. Miami and North Carolina were tied at 12, and Virginia Tech was at 4%. Hmm. Trying to find another. Okay, Heather Denich says, One additional thought on Super Conference. Nobody I spoke to believes realignment is over, but I think the greater long-term change we will see is football operating on its own. Rules, officiating, enforcement, scheduling, while the other sports continue under the NCAA. And Reese Davis says, This is going to happen. The only question is when. And here, stick at arrogance. Gina, Gene Smith who is the athletic director of Ohio State, says USC and UCLA will help Ohio State carry the weight of the Big Ten. What do you think about that? Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers, Pennsylvania, everybody else. Ohio State was carrying your weight all this time. Wow. Is there any more arrogant? Not fan base, I say. I don't know many Ohio State fans. No one. Uh, he's a good guy. Uh, any more arrogant organization than Ohio State Buckeyes, than Gino, Gene Smith and the guys who came before him? Uh, Stephen Cohen tweeted, I hope everybody is enjoying my favorite day of the year, Bobby Bonilla Day. The bets, once again, will be cutting a million-dollar-plus check to Bobby Bonilla again, again, and again, over and over and over and over again. This date in baseball history, July 1st, 1859. Uh, the first college baseball game ever played. Amherst beat their arch rival Williams, seventy-three to thirty-two, <laughs> uh, that, which is ridiculous. Some say no, it was just sixty-six to thirty-two. The game was played under Massachusetts rules, a square field with no foul territory, at the corner of North Street and Maplewood Avenue in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, where Kimmer hails from. Uh, oh, well, that's interesting. Uh, let's. I'll have to ask him if he remembers where that is. Well, he doesn't remember the game, I hope. 1916. Dropping the notes again. The 42-year-old and four-month-old, 42-year-old and four-month-old pirate shortstop Honus Wagner, the oldest player to hit an inside the park homer, went deep off the Reds' right-hander Elmer Knetzer in a win at Redland Field in Cincinnati. It's the Flying Dutchman's last four-bagger of his career. He finished with 101. 41 of those inside the Parkers. 1920, leaving Robison Field in midseason, the Cardinals play their first game as a home team at Sportsman's Park, which is the home of the American League St. Louis Browns. Hmm. It's just six blocks away from where they had been. Uh, July 1st, 1941, the WNBT, WNBT broadcast of the Dodgers' loss to the Phillies at Ebbets Field had the television's first commercial. A one-minute spot promoting Bulova watches. It was just an image. It said Bulova. 1941, in a rain-shortened nightcap against the Red Sox, Joe DiMaggio tied Wee Willie Keeler's 1897 Major League Record consecutive game hit streak of 44. It came with the official scoring score helping him out. Red Sox third baseman Jim Tabor made a poor throw, but the Yankee Clipper is given a hit by Dan Daniel of the New York World Telegram, which says to me, that the leader is still Pete Rose and Wee Willie Killer, not Keeler, not Joe DiMaggio. Because one of those hits was not legit. 
If it's not a hit, it can't be legit. 1943, to save newsprint, the Sporting News begins their tabloid format, which we all grew up with. The Bible of Baseball, established in 1886, the dominant voice for a long time. 1945, absent from the game for the longest tenure by any major leaguer, Hank Greenberg, the first player in the American League to register for the peacetime draft in 1940 in the U.S. Army, makes a dramatic return after 47 months, homering in his first game back from the armed forces. He was the first hammer and Hank. Uh, the first place Tigers beat the Philadelphia A's at Briggs Stadium. An emotional crowd of over 47,000 are there. Now, Hank Greenberg, who was Jewish, might have had a little more eyes on the prize when it came to what the Nazis were doing, and maybe that's why he joined early. Uh, 1951, July 1st, Indians right-hander Bob Feller became the third pitcher in Major League history to join Larry Kerkorin and Cy Young to pitch three career no-hitters. He beat the Tigers 2-1. to one. Uh, Detroit scores uh, on an error, a stolen base, an errant pickoff throw, and a sack fly. 1964, 5,000 cabbies and their families are on hand at Yankee Stadium to celebrate Taxi Day. Uh, Billy Bryant's 11th inning solo homer, the decisive blow as Kansas City wins. Unfortunately, afterwards, none of the cabbies could get a ride home because there was no cabs. Uh, 1982, considered a questionable decision because of his height. Uh, Cal Ripken is moved from third base to shortstop by Orioles manager Earl Weaver. The six foot four future Hall of Famer takes over the job uh, from veteran six foot one infielder Mark Bellinger, an eight time gold glover. And um, that was the first game of Ripken's streak. 1990, at Comiskey Park, they celebrate their 80th birthday, the park does. Yankees pitcher Andy Hawkins throws a no-hitter against the White Sox and loses 4-0. He's not credited with an official no-hitter because the home team doesn't need to come to bat in the bottom of the ninth. I forget how they scored their four runs, but it was typical Andy Hawkins, who had come over as a free agent from San Diego, uh, with all this hype, and he could not handle playing in New York. And going from San Diego to New York is about the biggest change you can make. Uh, 2000, Bark, Bark, Baseball Aquatic Retrieval Corps, uh, Corps spelled with a K, debuts at Pac Bell in San Francisco. Six Portuguese water dogs will be used to retrieve splashdown home runs hit by the Giants and their opponents, which land in McCovey's Cove. This lasted, well, for about as long uh, as it took for the Great Whites to find out this was happening. And then they were down to five water dogs, and then they were down to four. No, I'm just kidding. No dogs were injured. And what they found out was the people would rather be out there in their kayaks fighting each other with oars instead of letting dogs go out there. And let's face it, there are sharks in that water. I don't know if I'd be diving in for a ball. July 1st, 2005, after walking 2,100 miles from Camp Verde, Arizona to uh, reach Wrigley Field, Bill Holden throws the ceremonial first pitch of the Nationals-Cubs game, leads the crowd singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, Bill uh, Holden, not the uh, actor Bill Holden, who was already dead, uh, did not wear his William Holden drinking helmet, unfortunately. Uh, Ron Santo, who lost his legs to diabetes, uh, did a documentary called This Old Cub, which inspired Bill Holden to make the, the walk. He had two bad knees. He pounded the pavement for 172 days and raised $250,000 for juvenile diabetes research. 2007, during a seven-game winning streak, Mariners manager Mike Hargrove unexpectedly resigned. A personality difference between the skipper of the second-place Seattle club and the team's superstar Ichiro Suzuki. The actual reason? 
And in 2019, July 1st, Major League Baseball cancels tonight's scheduled Angels game against the Rangers after police officers find Tyler Skaggs unresponsive in the team's hotel. Uh, they do not suspect suicide or foul play uh, in the cause of the 27-year-old's death. But at the end of August, they decide that he had fentanyl, oxycodone, and alcohol in his system. And that has led to a whole bunch of stuff going down with lawsuits and everything about who got him the uh, drugs. Thanks to HottyToddy.com, ESPN, Saturday Down South, BatteryPower.com, and everybody else I mentioned during this lovely show here on a Friday, starting of July 4th weekend. So let's check Twitter and see if we got anything uh, interesting this morning that I haven't already shared with you. All right. Keep hitting the refresh. It takes takes forever. Uh, they Kevin Durant, I only care if he comes to Atlanta. That's all I care. Uh, let's see. Washington. Uh, the Huskies have released a statement. We are disappointed, blah, 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 about the news. Uh, we're working together about our options. So we'll see what, what the Huskies do. The only problem with the Washington Huskies is they're so far up there in the Pacific Northwest. And SEC schools will not want to make that flight. I'm telling you. Mm, oh, that's cool. Uh, not seeing anything else jump out. All right, let's go to ESPN for the headlines. And everybody can get started eating the hot dogs and grilling and barbecuing and all that stuff. Uh, no, not seeing anything there. Everybody have a great and safe 4th of July weekend. And uh, farmhouseprintingco.com for all your... In fact, if you buy Kimmer stuff this week, you get a free uh, Kimmer koozie, a patriotic koozie beer koozie from uh, farmhouseprintingco.com i i don't know if you get it for buying uh holy crap at sports merch but you can always ask i'm sure they'll throw one in anyway just ask them everybody have a great uh great fourth of july stay safe hotty toddy and um what's the other line drink up shriners